Hi, my name is Morris Scott, and welcome to another episode of A Father's Devotion Podcast. Today, we're exploring the highlights from the book of Micah. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for one more opportunity to study your word. Your word is eternal truth. Your word is life. Your word is light. Your word can break any stronghold and ease the troubled mind. So we pray that you would release your grace into our lives as we read your word. Teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this book is dated around 700 BC. Uh, Micah is from the southwest part of Palestine. His name means who is like Yahweh. His ministry was during the time of kings uh, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. It was during the threat of Assyria. But there was not just external threats, but internal as well. There was oppression by the wealthy, oppression by rulers, false prophets. Uh, In the midst of all of this, Micah was not silent, but called for social justice. The lesson, of course, that we learn is that leaders will not always carry out their duty. Uh, Often they will become derelict in their duty. Uh, The people, the constituents, the followers, the congregation must be willing and prepared to challenge and call out such leaders, bringing them uh, to task. A general look at the book shows prophecies against Samaria and Judah, uh, but not just a message of doom, but a message of deliverance. Uh, With that, Let's move right into our highlights. Uh, The first highlight is the first chapter. We're going to read verses one through two and five through seven. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Verse five, all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins in the field, places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. All her idols I will lay desolate, for she gathered it from the pay of a harlot, and they shall return to the pay of a harlot. So here we see that the word of the Lord comes to Micah. He's described as a Morishthite uh, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Morisheth uh, was in the southwest portion of Palestine. In verse 2, we see the first of several references to the word here. Uh, it is an invitation to listen. The implication is not just of attention, but also of obedience. See also Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, Micah 1, verse 2 also describes God as standing as a witness against man from his holy temple. Uh, Listen, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, know this. God sees and God knows, even when no other person sees or knows. God fills all time and space. We can never escape or hide from his presence. See Psalm 139 and Proverbs 15 verse 3. Uh, We must therefore practice the presence of the Lord. This practicing of the presence of the Lord applies not just to successes and victories, but also to failures and falls. We must not be afraid to ask God for forgiveness. And we have the assurance that if we are honest and transparent before God repenting, he is merciful and will forgive and abundantly pardon. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7 and 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. We see in verses 5 through 7, 
God's judgment against Israel and Judah for idolatry. Judgment doesn't come upon a people without God giving a warning, an opportunity for man to repent. It is regrettable that all too often man turns away from the opportunity to repent and judgment follows. Our second highlight is the second chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 2 and verse 12. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hands. Uh, they covet fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. Uh, they shall make a loud noise because of so many people. So we see here uh, the judgment upon those uh, that not only do iniquity, but actually plan it. Uh, the meaning of verse one includes mental aforethought, not just an impulsive act of evil, but a plan, an actual plan, a sinister thought process to do evil. Uh, the bed should be a place of rest and tranquility, but some are so filled with unrest and malice that even upon their beds, they will surmise or invent wicked plans toward another. What a shame. Uh, despite the judgment of God upon this, there will come a time, the Bible says, uh, when God in his mercy uh, will gather his people at the time of the coming of the Messiah. Let's move to another highlight. Chapter three, verses one through two, four through six, and nine through 12. And I said, hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Verse four, then they will cry to the Lord, uh, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. Thus says the Lord uh, concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace, while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him, who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, you shall have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. Uh, the sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be dark for them. Verse nine. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. We see in verse one, another command to hear. Uh, what we see is an indictment. The indictment, uh, the judgment is first upon the leaders. They should know judgment. The word no, yada, implies an intimate, a close relationship. See also Genesis chapter four, verse one. A leader must have an intimate and close and thorough knowledge and acquaintance with judgment, uh, with the difference between right and wrong. They should embrace good and reject evil. But this was not happening. It is a dangerous world to live in when the leaders are so corrupt that they have no knowledge between right and wrong. Yes, there is a difference between right and wrong, 
good and evil. It is a perilous world, a dangerous world when leaders embrace evil and reject good. This is not justice. God's people must always in every age speak out against all such injustice. Verse 4 shows that God will not hear the cry of those who embrace evil. Verses 5 through 9 speak about judgment upon false prophets. Prophets were supposed to speak for God. They are supposed to be in a fiduciary relationship to protect the people from corruption and a type of guardian of the covenant to safeguard the integrity of God's truth, uh, to even, if necessary, rebuke or judge a sitting king, ruler, or leader for any transgression against the covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Despite this sacred duty, the false prophets that we see here made the people to err. When people that are in spiritual positions of authority over others end up leading them to sin, leading the people to sin and unrighteousness, there is a very, very serious and heavy penalty they will pay when they stand before the Lord. James chapter 3, verse 1. Verse 9 shows us yet another reference to the word here. Listen. It is a shame that often God's people and even leaders fail to hear. Without hearing God, it is impossible to properly lead. We all are leaders in some fashion. Our lives, individual lives, our marriages, our homes, our communities, our churches, our jobs. We must seek to hear from God and allow him to direct our path. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 6. In a world of many voices from people, social media, television, the radio, we must allow none of those voices to block the voice of God in our spiritual ear. We develop sensitivity to God's voice by reading his word and praying every day. Let's go to our next highlight, chapter four. We're going to read verses one through two, four, six through seven, and 10 through 12. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 4. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Verse 6, in that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcasts and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. Verse 10, be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. The Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemy. Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, let her be defiled and let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. So here we see a description of the millennial kingdom. Uh, we see also a reference to many nations flowing to the mountain of the Lord and communing with the Lord. Listen, regardless of man's tendency to prejudge and to hate those who are of different ethnicities, uh, God loves the different nations and peoples and will ultimately gather all nations before him in fellowship. If God will gather a diverse group of ethnicities before him in worship, 
why shouldn't we, as the Ephesians 5.1 imitators of God, also gather different ethnic groups together to worship God? Uh, why is it so hard to do this? Perhaps it is because the focus is not totally on the glory of God. Perhaps it's because uh, we're not totally dead to sinful flesh. Perhaps it's because in the spirit of man, there dwells the spirit of pride, the old man desiring uh, to corrupt and taint the lens through which we see one another. May we all pray to God that we see each other as he sees us and not according to our own fleshly vision. Verse six refers to the regathering of Israel. However, it's interesting uh, that the verse contains the language of gathering that which is driven out. Listen, regardless of what you have been driven from, regardless of who has rejected you, regardless of how alone you may feel or you may be, God seeks to gather you to himself. He seeks to draw you closer and closer to a sacred presence where there is peace, joy, and fulfillment, the likes of which no one or thing can ever take away. Don't turn away from this pull. Draw near to God, and he promises to draw near to you. James chapter 4, verse 8. Verses 10 through 12 speak of the Babylonian captivity uh, to come and the deliverance therefrom. The rest of the chapter would speak of the end time battle against Israel. Listen, the God that we serve fills all time and space. He is aware of our past, our present, and our future. There are pains, difficulties, and hurdles that await us in the future. But he who took us through the pains of the past and is taking us through the difficulties of the present will also escort and guide us through the hurdles and challenges of the future. This and only this is the reason we do not have to fear anything. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Let's go to our next highlight, uh, chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Verse 1 refers to the Babylonian captivity. The judgment and captivity mentioned in verse 1 is in contrast to the blessing mentioned in verse 2. Regardless of the Babylonian captivity, there will come a time in which the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, will come out of little Bethlehem. This, of course, was fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, indeed, the one who comes out of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, will tell the world, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John chapter 6, verse 35. Listen, God loves to bring blessings. He loves to take little things and insignificant people and use them for his glory. He even loves to take people that everybody rejects and again, use them for his glory. So regardless of how little or insignificant you may consider your work or your occupation or your job or your title to be, 
dedicate it before the Lord and he can turn it into something very significant, honorable, and valuable. Verse four again shows us the blessings of safety and peace in the millennial kingdom. Uh, Listen, after all of the trouble in this world, the uncertainties, the diseases, the pestilences, the unrest, uh, the hatred, there will come a time when peace will reign and we will study war no more. Isaiah chapter two, verse four. The sixth chapter, we're going to read verses one through four and verse eight. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you and how have I wearied you? Testify against me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we see that verse 1 shows us another reference to the word hear. Uh, Again, hear means not just listening, but also obeying. We see in verse two, uh, the use of the word complaint. King James Version uses the word controversy. Uh, These words have legal implications, like a legal complaint filed against Israel by the Lord based upon their violation or breach of the covenant. God is pleading, averring, uh, or stating the facts of his case against Israel. God challenges Israel to try to testify against him. Listen, You can't testify against your creator. You cannot bring an argument against he who made your mouth. You cannot bring any accusation against the one whose being allows your mind to function. God testifies about his goodness to Israel so they may know his righteousness. Verse eight shows us what God requires of us. It is simply that we act with justice, that we love mercy, and that we walk in humility with God. Listen, this is how we measure whether someone is walking according to the will of God. It is not great words uh, that they say. It is not how charismatic they are. It is not how they make you feel when they talk. It is not the crowds of people that are mesmerized by their presence. It is not how tall they are. It is not how handsome, cute, or pretty they are. Uh, It is not how much money they have. It is not how talented or gifted they appear to be. It is not how popular they are. It is not how learned they are. It is not how great of a spiritual giant you think they are. The question you must ask to determine whether somebody is doing God's will is, are they acting with justice? Are they showing love and mercy? Do they walk with humility and do it before God? We must stop being impressed with people and begin to be impressed with and by our God. Uh, Let's move to our next highlight, chapter seven. We're going to be reading verses two, five through eight and 18 through 20. The faithful man has perished from the earth and there is no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net. Verse five, do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. I will wait 
for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Verse 18, who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So here we see a statement about the sinfulness of Israel, but not just Israel, but of mankind in general. It speaks of the absence of good and the presence of deceit and guile in the human heart. This is important because there are many who believe that they are good and entitled to something from God. Uh, what man considers to be good does not measure up to the standard of goodness held by God Almighty, and it is his standard uh, that counts. Man is evil. His heart is tainted and corrupt. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. Uh, it is because of this corruption, we must not put our total trust in people. It doesn't matter whether it is a man, woman, boy or girl, relative, friend, roommate. Uh, they are to some extent untrustworthy. We must understand the categorical nature of the statement on evil, the fact that it includes mankind in general, even every gender. Uh, we live in an age where males will often suggest that they are more noble than uh, the female gender, uh, and in other circles, a female gender will suggest that they are more virtuous and even more capable than the male gender. However, the Bible teaches the universality of sin. All are unrighteous, wicked, and born in sin. None has the right to brag about righteousness because we must measure ourselves before a holy God. All of our sin are as filthy rags, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. This is why we must walk humbly with God. Someone might ask the question, well, uh, I think I'm good. Uh, I don't do anything uh, that I think is wrong. Uh, so why can't uh, God just accept uh, my level of righteousness? But think about this. What if I took a glass of water and I brought it to you, but before I brought it to you to drink, I put my finger inside it and I gave it to you to drink. It would appear to be clear, but you would not drink it because you have your standard of purity. Well, if you are entitled as a created being to your standard of purity, then why not God, the creator, the sovereign creator, why should not he have a standard of purity? Verse seven is important. Because of the untrustworthiness of people and evil in the heart of man, we must focus upon the Lord and wait for his hand to move in our lives. In the midst of difficulty, don't be impatient and move ahead of God's leading. It will always be regrettable. Genesis chapter 16. One of the things that we see also uh, in this chapter is that God is a merciful God, that God is a forgiving God. There are many, again, who say uh, that the God of the Old Testament is harsh uh, and uh, very unforgiving. Uh, but the God that we see uh, from Genesis to Revelations, uh, whether it's in the New Testament or the Old Testament, is a God uh, of mercy and a God that's willing to forgive uh, the repentant heart.
Listen, this is the confidence that we have. Like Israel, when we belong to the Lord, even if we fall, we know that God will restore our joy and fellowship. Yes, there are enemies and haters that will rejoice over any setback in our lives, but God sees it all and will prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemy, and that table will include goodness and mercy, which will follow us all the days of our lives. Psalms 23. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray that you would help us release your grace upon us uh, to be just, to love mercy, and also to walk humbly with you and before man. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.